creating that online experience, but with all the goodness of what you could create as a brick and mortar retailer in the store and removing that friction is what the experience of the future looks like. We're not that far from that. That's not, uh, oh my gosh, that's a 10 year vision. We could deliver that tomorrow. It's a matter of breaking down some of the traditional thinking and some of the traditional barriers that occur within retail technology today and then getting the consumer engagement that would drive that. The stores of the future are being built today. And according to David Wilkinson, who serves as the president of NCR Retail at NCR, they will not be the types of stores that currently come to mind. We are living in a time that blurs the lines between digital and physical, and retailers are working with NCR to make every experience as seamless as possible. David explains how on this episode of Up Next in Commerce. He tells us how personalized shopping will be brought to the forefront through first-party branded apps that customize the shopping experience for you. And he details how retailers in all industries can start breaking free of the traditional shackles of standard point-of-sale technology and store designs. Plus, David and I nerd out about how cryptocurrency will be entering the mainstream sooner rather than later, and how retailers can prepare for what that will mean for their payment systems. So sit back, relax, and dig into this awesome episode with David Wilkinson. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter. It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe. Mission.org slash up next in commerce. All right, on to the show. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent state of commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyze the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Hello and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have David Wilkinson, the president of NCR Retail. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. Glad to be here. I'm very excited to have you on. So before we start, I would love it if you could kind of highlight what NCR Retail is for anyone who doesn't know, because you guys do a lot and I want the words to come from your mouth instead of ours. Yeah, I I appreciate that. There's a, a lot of Depending on who you ask, a lot of misconceptions about what we are as a company and what we do. We we think about it in pretty simple terms. We we want to create technology that runs the store, and 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 so when I think when I think about that, that's really the software and services that would be creating the capabilities to do transactions, and interact with customers in and around the store environment. And so people might traditionally think of us as an ATM or a cash register company. It, it's really quite different. It's a payment software and services company across the three primary businesses that we serve, banking, retail, 
and hospitality. So as you know, we're, we're experts in how consumers interact with technology for things like self-service or automated transactions, which is critical in, in what's happening around the world today with labor um, and reallocation of labor. And we're really just focused on creating great customer experiences and technology to enhance that. Very cool. So what are some of the newest projects that you've been embarking on over the past year or two that maybe you had to kind of quickly roll out where you're like, okay, everyone wants, you know, touchless payments now, or everyone wants this capability. Like what have you had to kind of scramble to keep up with? When you think about our business, we're in the retail side, we're 70% of our business is grocery. And then we have another 15 or big box. I'll put big box in that another 15% that would be convenience and fuel retail. And then the, the rest, the balance of that would be, think about a department specialty. So there are a handful of different trends, as you know, that occur within each of those industries. If you look, I'll start with convenience and fuel for a second. As, as you described, there was a big race when the pandemic was early. Everybody wanted social distance. Nobody wanted to touch things that other people were touching. So it created the, the ability or the, the need to do things like touchless payments at the pump. So we, we've worked with several convenience and fuel retail companies. Come and Go was one of them where we created a uh, the ability to do staged transactions on your mobile device and, and reduce the number of touches that you would have to make to the pump. So it's got stored payment. It would allow you to, to, to queue up the pump, initiate the pump activation through our point of sale application. And then you could get to the pump and you always have to touch the pump to put the nozzle in the, in the car. For those of you that have to pump gas and, and the 48 states that require that, you'd have to touch the pump, but it reduces the touch of the, of the pin pad. So, you know, we're finding those kind of applications and in, in convenience and fuel convenience and fuel. Also, we're seeing a, a big rollout of self-checkout, which is one of our flagship. Pro- I mean, we, we, we are the market leader globally in self-checkout. And when I think about what, what's happening, we really understand how consumers interact with the technology. You know, the, the hardware is interesting. The software is really interesting, but the understanding of, the workflows, the, the process flow, how do you avoid unnecessary shrink? How do you avoid unnecessary interventions? We're seeing a lot of, of now increased demand in the convenience and fuel space that hasn't traditionally had self-checkout, but makes a perfect fit. Small basket size, mm-hmm. convenient shoppers, don't want to stand in the line and, and want different interactions or maybe a, a, a less interaction with a, with a person yeah. in that environment. So COVID has heightened, heightened that. So that's what's happening in convenience and grocery. It's a, it's, it's a similar thing. You know, we saw some weird things happening early days with, you know, spatial awareness and everybody has to hang, everybody focused on, we got to put plexiglass in the stores. We, we can't have any kind of human interaction. We got to queue outside the grocery store before we come in and set appointments and different times. And, you know, we have a, a very large professional services team that can do custom applications. And we did a lot of that kind of stuff where we're building queuing apps and other things that probably aren't here to stay, but we'll have some, longer term applicability. But what we're seeing really is touchless payments with self-checkout. So paying on the mobile or mobile scan in the aisles, and then a broader rollout of self-checkout and then getting deeper debt or more density within the store with for self-checkout, meaning more, more lanes enabled for self-checkout mm-hmm. so that the customers have that, have that capability. And then the other piece was e-commerce. You know, obviously e-commerce is growing. You know, if you look at grocery, you, know, you can look at different numbers, but it's multi hundreds of percent growth off of fairly small numbers. And but in e-com, that's being a, a large part, up to anywhere between 15 and probably 25 percent of grocery quickly moved to e-commerce. And 
So we, we invested, bought a company that has an e-com engine to turn that experience back over to the retailer so they can have an app, retailer branded application, allow you to do list management, recipe management, order online, pick up in the store, and then has a picking optimization app on the back end for the retailer. So those are some of the things that, that we're working on and deploying that would include payments, but it's a, you know, a, lot, a lot going on. Innovation has been in compressed into a short amount of time with COVID. I think we're seeing that in a lot of different industries and, and probably none more impactful than, than retail. Yep. So what kind of things do you think won't stick now that we're kind of, you know, a year plus past? And a lot of times when change is happening quick, people are like, let's just try everything and do everything new. Like what things, I mean, some things like ordering groceries online, it feels like it's here to stay. I mean, people are debating like, will the percentage pull back again? I think maybe it has since 2020, but then maybe the pie grew. So the numbers kind of, I'm not really sure. But what things are here to stay and which ones were kind of just like a fad and we tried them out and now it's like, no, we actually don't need that. Yeah, I, it's a good question. I get That's a question we get a lot. I, I'll start with the easy ones that are kind of fun to, to joke about, you know, in, in light of the seriousness of the pandemic, but like plexiglass yeah. and, and, you know, a sticker on the store that you have to queue, you know, six feet or 12 feet or however many feet apart. Those are the things that I think will, will start to, to fall down a little bit. You know, we, we learned that, you know, hoarding and stockpiling toilet paper was not a cure for anything. Yep. So I think some of those kind of applications or, or behaviors will go away. What we did find though, in the, in, the, in the joke in the toilet paper is really about the supply chain. And what we found is that brand loyalty across the consumer base shifted pretty significantly that you no longer were loyal to a single brand. You were loyal to a brand that had mm-hmm. what you wanted yep. when we saw a supply chain shortage. And that may have introduced shoppers to you know, where they were traditionally brand loyal for whatever reason, uh, the ability to shop around. So one of the trends that we're here, we'll, we'll see continue is retailers want more and more data about their consumers so that they can offer personalized experiences. And we all crave that. I mean, the social shopping phenomenon is, is here and you know, we see it in, in Asia, is, is more prolific than in the U.S., but some form of that will start to take in hold in the U.S. And so understanding the customers more deeply is, is, a, is a trend that's here to stay. I think, you know, you said online grocery shopping, even while we saw hyper growth, 85% of the shopping was done in the store. So we think some blend of that will stick around. I've seen the same stats that say, hey, we've reached the peak of growth. It's going to plateau, maybe decline and then, then, and then bump back up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think online shopping, you think about it as a, as a, as a consumer. So personally, if you think about it, the ability for me to create a list based on past purchases or find a recipe and click on a recipe and add those ingredients to my list or to my basket, have somebody pick those items, but I still want to pick out fresh vegetables, fresh flour, meats, whatever it may be, the things I want to look at, touch and feel, how do we create this hybrid shopping environment where I can do the we'll call it the center of the store shop, dry goods, yep. other things, and allow me to do the edge of the store, the fresh foods and, and other things. You know, I think there's a, there's a hybrid model that makes a lot of sense. Now, that's a big change because none, none of the retailer, we, ne- we didn't design stores that way. Mm-hmm. We designed stores to, like I just said, the center of stores, all this stuff, the outsides are, are all fresh foods, all the checkout stands are right at the front, congregated. I think this notion of pervasive and flexible checkout will start to take hold. And so I think those are the trends, convenience, less touch, more choice, and knowing your consumers better are the things that we'll start to see that will stick. 
and, and we'll see those trends either flatten and start to grow again or, you know, just flatten, but become a bigger percentage of the, the overall. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned about like what things I want to pick out versus what things other people can. I mentioned this a couple episodes back where I'm like, I don't care about picking out the flowers, you know, the cereals, like that's all fine. Get what's there, but no one will ever pick out the avocados the way that I want them or the type of fruit that I want. So why isn't half the store just kind of, you know, in inventory and just grab it out of inventory for me. And the other half that I actually want to be and see and touch and smell, that's the part that you can actually interact with. So we're thinking alike, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, it, yeah, you're, sp- you're spot on. Are you a cantaloupe? <laughs> I am. Yep. And the watermelon, I'm like, I want the perfect little dark yellow spot on it. And my avocados, I hope it didn't get plucked from there and mold growing around the stem. Like I'm very particular. And I always think when I order from Whole Foods, I'm like, should I write these in notes? No, because they're going to think I'm crazy. If like pick out the avocado just like this and look for this with your watermelon or cantaloupe. And <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, but think about the opportunity there with what you described. So the application that we have allows us to do a, a lot of customer specific notes. And, and then if you have control, if you're the grocer and you have control of your experience, so forget about third party intermediary picking apps or you know, I'll use Instacart as an example. You know, Instacart sends an Instacart shopper into the store. You may or may not have the same shopper. And the Instacart person doesn't, may or may not care, has let, I'll say on a relative scale, cares less about the brand itself mm-hmm. where you're shopping. But if the retailer had a had control of that and knew that you, Stephanie, were a high value customer, you love to buy avocados, and that was a real differentiator for you. You know, if I knew that about you and when you shopped, you could create an experience that you would actually enjoy mm-hmm. buying avocados online, perhaps, or Maybe they have an avocado cam specifically for you, but those, for those are the kind of connected experiences that we think, you know, getting more and more technology in the stores to deliver those experiences is going to be key. Yep. I mean, I think that also kind of summarizes the next couple of years because this past year, year and a half or so, people were willing to try, try, you know, online ordering, try going through self-checkout, try all the new things. But then now I think we're in a phase where brands need to actually deliver. Like we were okay with hiccups as consumers for a while there, but now you go in and if self-checkout's not working, I know some stores, I know I'm like, I'm not even gonna try it because every time that little light goes off, if I don't put my you know thing in the right area and then I have to wait and whatever it may be, like I remember the brands that it doesn't work with and I don't do it anymore versus certain stores. I'm, I know every time I go in and out and it works perfectly. So I think now's the time when brands have to deliver and figure out like, how do we actually deliver that experience to them? Because they've been willing to be in beta for a little while now. And now we're kind of popping out of that and we're ready for just like a, a good experience. Agree. Can you think about where retail technology had been? I mean, anybody that's been in and around retail technology understands that the way we deploy technology in a retail store is, is antiquated, mm-hmm. fairly antiquated. And the experiences that you described are in the, you know, are ones that would say, you know, I have to have modern capabilities. I can't afford to rip and replace everything. And we're taking this run the store approach where we want to deliver outcomes to you. So as a retailer, we want to deliver all those outcomes that you just described. And the more technology you deploy into the store, as you said, the more it has to be available and working. Mm-hmm. And that sounds basic, but it it's not as basic as you would think. It's not as common sense as you think across the across the piece, because I can't put a, you know, a, a paper sign or a bag over a kiosk and say, hey, this isn't available. Mm-hmm. It has to be available because that's the way that we're interacting and transacting. And so when I look at that, I, I think, we're, you know, we're, we're investing to deliver at scale all the technology in the store. So think about like the dial tone in the store. It just works. The ability for a consumer to come into your store, identify themselves, scan an item, get a total basket or start a transaction online, finish it in the store, 
tender it, take payment. That's what we want to deliver to the store as an outcome, as a service. And then the store then, or the retailer brand can focus on how do I differentiate my brand? What experiences can I create? Can I create a store within a store or venues within my store? Or what am I trying to do? Because that's really where the store will start to compete. The store, the base technology is not where the store is going to compete. The technology has to be a foundation for creation of new experiences that will be enabled by technology. And a lot of it, we don't, you know, what will it be? I don't know. Most of it will likely be consumer led technologies as they're bringing their own tech into the store and we have to learn how to deal with it. So I think, you know, that's what we're focused on is, is getting down to a foundational level, providing that modern architecture without a rip and replace, building the bridge mm-hmm. and allowing them to be cloud ready, cloud enabled to take advantage of all the cool things that are happening and all the investment that's going into all these interesting applications that are all consumer facing or social shopping or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So what does, I mean, that's to me, the life cycle of technology when it starts to work is when it's kind of seamless behind the scenes. Like that's when you know you've made it to then start building on top of it. Like you don't even notice it's there. And like, what do you see retail experiences looking like going forward to actually have an experience there? I mean, what are you seeing brands doing right now? That's really cool. What should that look like? I think about the experience, think about a, a, an online shopping experience overall and, and, and why you like it. I, I will say online shopping is horrible. Online buying is a good experience. Yep. Because, you know, shopping online, you know, I have to know what I have to know what I'm looking for. I don't get to see the selection. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I know a little too much about how the content gets served up to me, but I'm not seeing the full selection or assortment. I may there may be something I like that they don't think I like. So there's all these things that happen. But why you think online buying is such a good experience is because you know who I am. I tell I, I walk in, quote unquote, walk into your store and I say, I'm David Wilkinson. I am here. Also, I let you have I give you permission to see everything I bought. And then you have the ability to say, oh, based on everything you bought, these are other things you might like mm-hmm. and serve all that up, package it in a way that makes a, a good experience, put it in a cart. And then I also have given you a form of payment that I've told you that you can keep and use for anything that I shop in your store for digitally. Mm-hmm. And then I transact and then you deliver it to my home frictionlessly. Now take that and say, how do you create a great shopping experience? Take a lot of those attributes of online buying and a physical, as you described, let me grab the avocado and make sure it's just soft enough, but not too soft. Let me thump my watermelon. Let me look at the meat. Let me look at the flowers. Let me take in the full cereal aisle to see what's going on. I want to, mm-hmm. I love chocolate, but I don't know if I want milk or dark, but I want to, I want to experience that in the store, but allow me to see, you know, if I put box of Rice Krispies in my shopping cart, you know, you might ask me, do you want marshmallows? And, Cause you, maybe you want Rice Krispie treats as a cross sell up. So deliver that to me dynamically in the aisle on a mobile app. Mm-hmm. You've got my stored payment form. I, I, I'll be scanning the items on my, in my cart real time, building that basket real time. And then allowing me to pick up some things that I had you pre-pick for me that I ordered online. Or I may just do pervasive checkout where I'm using computer vision, RFID, or some other form of sensory fusion to create a basket that always knows what I'm buying. So the notion of creating that online experience, but with all the goodness of what you could create as a brick and mortar retailer in the store and removing that friction is what the experience of the future looks like. We're not that far from that. That's not, uh, oh my gosh, that's a 10-year vision. We could deliver that tomorrow. It's a matter of breaking down some of the traditional thinking and some of the traditional barriers that occur within retail technology today that that really, and, and then getting the consumer engagement that would drive that. So that that's 
kind of the way I see the experience of the future is a nice blend of all the convenience of online with the greatness of an experience in a store. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. I love that. I mean, I think that's also why it's important to kind of take a step back from your industry and look around at like what other tech companies are possibly doing and seeing how other things are, you know, being created and being experienced. Because I think when you're thinking this is what the store is and here's my capabilities, it's hard to think outside the box. Whereas just when you were talking, I'm like, wow, how cool would it be to, I mean, people go there to experience things. They go shopping to experience things. And maybe people still want to see shelves, but do you actually need a shelf? Can it be a virtual shelf? Can it be a mix of AR or VR where you just look and you can see all the new brands popping up? You can still feel like you're experiencing it. And then you just tap a bunch and you can kind of have a little bit of both while also the productivity of like your cart's getting filled on the back end behind the scenes and you're ready to go. Because you might not need to see, you know, the different types of bone broths on the shelf, but you want to actually see them, but you don't need to be collecting them yourself. And I think, uh, yeah, always thinking outside your industry is a way to kind of start feeling that out and seeing new innovations and then rethinking the entire way that retail operates right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's, 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 a, lot of, it's a lot of fun. And, and you think about those experiences that you have to create and the, the state of the labor market, it requires more labor in the stores to deliver a lot of those experiences. And we're in a labor crisis mm-hmm. where labor rates are going up, you know, unemployment was at a low, but now it's, you know, it's hard to read the unemployment stats because it's more of a willingness or, or want to, to work mm-hmm. uh, at this point and, and more labor hours required in the store. So, I mean, I think technology will be the key and, and getting some of that back onto the, I, lo- I love the AR, VR, go to a convenience store or to a grocery store. I, you know, you could have a list and shop through your, through your mobile device mm-hmm. in the store and it points out where you go and it can point out other like items. So many fun things that we're going to be able to unlock with, with technology and data and the consumer willingness to opt into that mm-hmm. if you're creating value for them. Yeah. I sometimes also like to look at the startups who don't have barriers to enter the markets. You know, the ones that can just start a little guide shop type of maybe grocery store or whatever it may be. And they're like, I'm going to implement this store in like a tech first approach and it's going to be small, but it's going to be like this. Do you see anything like that right now where you're like, whoa, these companies are doing things in a very different way and it could either fail or be really cool. And you don't have to name names if you don't want to. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're seeing it on, on both sides. So we do obviously a lot of research around what's happening on the tech side of retail and, and, you know, I'll collude together a couple of sources and I'll tell you that there's a hundred billion dollars of investment going into retail tech startups. These are proclaimed to be retail tech startups. Forget about anything that might be on the periphery of that mm-hmm. around, could be any AI or ML or inventory. There could be some other things. But so there's a lot of money and there's a lot of really interesting things happening. So there's, yes, we're seeing that anywhere from, uh, you know, retrofitting in-store lighting to create a platform for AI. I mean, where you can do camera and tracking and, mm-hmm. You can do facial recognition or gate recognition, store tracking, and, and close the loop with the point of sale. So some really interesting things happening there. On the other side, there are a lot of startup retailers. That, you know, if, if, you, if you and I just sat in a room and brainstormed and said, what do we want to build as a store? We, we wouldn't be 
forced to this paradigm of what a convenience store or especially retail store or a grocery store look like today. Why do I need a fixed point of sale? Why do I need these other things? And so we're working with a, a small startup out of, out of South Carolina that's creating this concept of drive up grocery. So they're, they're looking around saying, watching the pandemic, fast food and quick service retail, uh, restaurants do a great job, buy online, pick up in store, mm-hmm. no, no inside shopping. We're helping them with the tech. We're going to run all the tech for these stores where they effectively have a dark store that they either order on an app or they drive up and you order on a tablet and they have to pick it quickly. So they have to know inventory. So I look at these things and it's kind of fun to watch. They have no barriers. They have mm-hmm. no paradigm that they're trying to break. They're just charging forward with a need in the, in the market and how they're going to approach it. So we see a lot of that. We see a lot of that around computer vision. Mm-hmm. We see it on the tech side. We see a lot of that around what's happening with AI and ML we're starting to see a little bit more of that around payments and alternative payments with things like crypto. So there's just a lot of interesting things that that we see happening. I mean, I would think the one misconception that a lot of people have too is that retail is dying or dead. And a lot of influential people have said that, and maybe they're kind of like retracting that statement now. But what I think is cool to watch is the type of retailers that are opening up. You see a lot of discounters opening up right now, like way more than maybe in the past, which is kind of an interesting trend. And then you see these very luxury, maybe not too luxury, but D to C brands also only focusing on like, what experience do you get by coming here? So what kind of like, what do you think around those two types of industries opening up more retail locations this year than before? Yeah, we, we, uh, we serve those discounters all around the world and various forms. That's not just a US trend. You know, we see that happening in, in all parts of the world. So I, I, this move to convenience, smaller footprint is, is a big trend. And, you know, I, I really think it's about that last mile and accessibility. And so, yeah, the, all the discounters will, will, will tell you their growth numbers are, are off, the, off the charts. So the way I think about that is they, they have a critical need for data because they have to understand they're not obviously carrying a full assortment in that store. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have to understand their demographics. They have to understand the past purchase history of that municipality or wherever they're located. And, and they have to have probably technology solutions to, to deploy potentially the you know, order, order in the store. So I think it, there's a good blend there as the retailers are going to find like the discounters that they're really all about location and proximity of their customer base mm-hmm. and serving a need that people want either in between a big grocery shop or going to the big box retailer, the ability to just do you know, quick top-up trips for certain items, I think is where they're going to make their, make their names. And I think that they're seeing a tremendous success as you, as evidenced by their growth, you know, the, the home fitness craze mm-hmm. or the virtual fitness craze that's, that's taking hold, but so many of those things are, are experiential again. So instead of a store, you think about just creating an experience center that allows you and we, we saw that, I mean, Apple kind of started that with their Apple stores. It, they were very experiential. Tesla had, had done something mm-hmm. very similar. No, no big surprise that the same person helped design and develop those two, those two stores. But, you know, you, you look at what uh, Kate Hudson did with her brand and partnering. So there, there are a lot of interesting things that, that are happening around creating experiences around retail at those, those higher end or call it more luxury brand goods that they're, it's a blend of, hey, I have this. Uh, subscription content and a complementary set of retail items that you have to somehow bring together, and that's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. online. I think that's what we're seeing. I think you'll see more of more of those 
pop up. And, you know, I, I, I think we're, we're seeing more of the traditional, especially retail, either collapse or consolidate. And you're seeing a lot of those new, newer experiential brands pop up. So I, I think it's a trend that will at least be here for the next you know, three to five years. Yeah, I agree. I'd love to start seeing case studies around, you know, these people, they came into the store, they experienced this golf store, whatever it may be. They played on in this like camping set with their kids and then it attributed to this many sales. That's what I'm like hoping to see over these next couple of years. To, like, I, I think the experience is where it's at, but I also know a lot of people do, maybe myself who would just go in and have a good time, be like, all right, see you next week. And so it'll be interesting to kind of dig into that data eventually and see, you know, is the ROI there of having a full-on experiential store or is it more from a branding perspective or like how do you even view that from a financial perspective? I think you said it well. You have to be purposeful Mm -hmm. in how you do that. You can't just say, I'm going to have a retail, I'm going to pop up like a traditional retail model and it's going to be experiential. I think you have to set out and say, I'm going to create this experiential store. It's got a different footprint, a different look and feel a different set of technology capabilities because you 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 may or may not be catering to the client that's going to buy online. If you look at a, a clothing store like Bonobos who has a showroom store, mm-hmm. a showroom store, you can't, you don't really buy, you never, you don't buy anything. Yeah. You, know, you go in, you try things on for fit, feel, you can touch and feel everything. They have one of everything and they have a bunch of different sizes. And then when you go to order, all the, all they're doing is ordering online. Like, and then they've got your account and you can order online. So I think that's a, a good example of somebody that, has done a great job of creating an experience. And then, you know, that also solves the returns problem mm-hmm. on the flip side of the e-com equation. The other thing that I wanted to kind of talk about was loyalty programs. Cause I think you've talked about this in the past and I know a lot of companies always try it. And I can think about the ones that actually, like I remember that work well for me. Nordstrom Rack is one of them. I think TJX ones kind of uh, sometimes hard to find where my dollars are, but at least I know that they're there. And then other ones that just don't work well, certain grocery stores where I'm like, why do I keep putting my number in here? What am I getting from this? So like, how do you think about loyalty programs? How should they be created and how will they work over the next couple of years? It's going to get back to data and, and the ability to do personalized shopping. I mean, a lot, some of the research that we look at, you know, I'll look at things that are like 50, 60, 70% of consumers are willing to provide data or willing to give data if they get value in return. I know that seems like a loose equation because value is different to your point from the, the eyes of the beholder. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it has to be a more personalized program. Like you said, if I'm just going to enter a phone number in and that's going to drive a discount off a of price, I mean, that's, that's just not going to be good enough. Yeah, especially if it's not clear. If you're like, I put my phone number in, did I get anything? You're looking at the, like the little register and you're like, I don't see any discounts. Yeah. And what yeah. am I even like building up to? I don't get it. Or offering you something after the fact, like, hey, you made these three purchases. Here's something off your next your next visit. I think there's there's going to be such a competitive marketplace for people creating personalized experiences. Now think about social. If you're on the clothing side, like you're talking about some of those high-end brands, the ability to plug into to social networking and and create a loyalty program that either would reward somebody for expanding their network or, or influencing your products or the ability to buy through social channels. When you, when you see, you know, I want input from, you know, people that I would view as either my peers or people like me, how do they like, you know, reading reviews, other things, information's at their fingertips. So I think that kind of a information with your personal data, with social interaction is, is going to be key. But again, I, th- I think loyalty programs are going to come down to more of what we just, what we talked about earlier around the online experience, creating more of that 
online experience where I give you permission to create an experience because I don't want the friction. Mm -hmm. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I like. I want you to be able to recommend things like that. And I want the best deal at the time of purchase. And I want you to respect my loyalty to your brand in the long term. And then I want to reduce all the friction. To me, that's, that's a low, that's bigger than a, you know, a points program or a enter your phone number and I'm going to track your purchases and may or may not give you a discount. Mm -hmm. That's kind of creating that 360 full view of your consumer and and really truly understanding them. Yep. Yeah. And I I think it's also like you're, it's okay to interact with them more than you think if it's done in a way that's purposeful. I think that's the interesting thing is you see the brands that you don't ever hear from and you're like, what am I even doing here? And then you hear from the brands that just give you random offers that maybe never incentivize you to do something. And so I think there's a sweet spot where a lot of brands now are leaning into the the more becoming a media company, having their own content, creating this all-encompassing experience and figuring out how to do that in a way that actually, you know, drives results will be the way of the future. But I think still brands are having a little bit of a struggle around trying to figure out like what that looks like and what incentivizes people to want to act and interact with your content or your texts or whatever they may be. Right. And like we said, in Asia, it's probably a little more ahead mm-hmm. with some of what they're doing around social commerce and the gamification of both social and product recommendations and loyalty. So, mm-hmm. you know, some form of that will will take hold here. So for anyone who listens to this show, they know that I love to always try and talk about crypto when I can for whoever is uh, willing to do that with me. And so I wanted to hear from you since I know you guys are in obviously the payment space and you're probably watching what's happening in that realm all the time. I want to hear your thoughts on how crypto is going to impact retail and specifically around payments. Yeah, I, I love to talk about crypto too. So I appreciate you bringing it up. I, I you know, it's obviously a, a very hot trend. I mean, there, there's a lot of trending news happening around crypto. Some of it good, some of it bad, whether it's the hype that Elon Musk creates around things like Dogecoin or Bitcoin or Saturday Night Live or all the, you, mean, you, you can follow the trials and tribulations of that. When you get to the underpinnings of the applicability of that and the and the desire of people to participate in alternative payment form that has less, we'll call it less fees or less cost or more direct access or feel like they have more control, I think that's where we're seeing a lot of uh, uptake in, in cryptocurrency. I just read some studies this morning that talked about cryptocurrency holders. 51% of crypto holders are likely, very likely to use cryptocurrency at retail if they would accept it. So you think about, okay, how, how do we accept cryptocurrency in a retail environment? We did a demo. So pre-COVID, whatever, it would have been 2020 January at the National Retail Federation, their big show that they have in New York at the Javits Center every year. We actually had a cryptocurrency demo where we said, okay, we're going to help serve unbanked or underbanked, kind of a cash economy. How do they participate in the digital economy? Well, we had our cash acceptance. Think about a self-checkout that has the ability to accept cash. We could take that cash. We partnered with some companies to convert that cash to crypto. That would be then stored on a, on a cloud wallet or a mobile wallet, generate a QR code. It was a short demo line. And then we'd effectively go to the point of sale and purchase something with cash that we had just turned to crypto, scan a QR code at the point of sale a very simple execution of a lot of elegant and complex things behind the scenes and new thinking. So, you know, I think for us as NCR, we moving from cash to still some checks to credit cards, debit cards, tap to pay, Apple pay, mobile wallets, crypto, 
I mean, we, we want and need to, based on what our mission is, be able to serve your payment needs from cash to crypto. Mm-hmm. So when we, we are absolutely investing in, in both partnerships and organic technology that, that is around crypto, we think it, again, whether it's payment or some other disintermediation using the underpinnings of what distributed ledger would bring to uh, just ease of payment and security of payment and again, value stream of payment. Yeah. But I, I think once again, it highlights, you know, when tech kind of goes behind the scenes, like there will be a place when we are transacting and we don't even know really kind of what's behind the scenes and operating that. I mean, even for now, like thinking about Venmo, like what actually goes behind the scenes to make all of that work? I think there will be a place when people go in and transact and maybe it is utilizing crypto, but you don't really know, you know, how it's really working. You just know that it's fast and you don't pay fees on it. And, you know, it just happens and it just works. And same thing around like financing these companies that, you know, you need to finance things. There will be a much easier way to do it where it's like you can enter into it quickly and you can see your contract quickly and get out of it when you need to. And right now there feels like a lot of friction around that still. And especially for developing countries, like you said, who, you know, don't have banks to rely on or can't rely on them because, you know, it's a little bit volatile or whatever it may be. A ton of opportunity that I see kind of disrupting and getting to a place where you don't even know that it's behind the scenes powering essentially everything. That's my view on it. Yeah. And I think you're right. There's a broader education that has to be done because it's, you know, crypto is not about nefarious criminal activities and I'm a, I'm a money launderer or I'm in some illegal trade that I don't want my cash to be seen by the government. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that's not, that's not what it is. There are a lot of regulations, a lot of usage around KYC and other ways that, that are protecting those assets. There are a lot of backing that's being done. You know, you see things like stable coin, the volatility of the value is obviously a big, mm-hmm. a big thing that is a big myth that you know we kind of joked about at the beginning. It's up and down, up and down. But getting asset-backed tokens and stable coins will start to create the ability to leverage distributed ledger in the way that it was meant to be, where the you know the chain of custody is always known. Mm-hmm. The assets itself hold their own, hold their own chain of custody. You remove all the intermediaries and all the middle people of clearing houses and other. You know, it, it's going to free up. The, the world of payment in some way that more of a call, call it a democratization of the payments infrastructure that I think will be interesting. Yeah, I, I like watching it. And the only time I get a little hesitant is when I see entities creating their own coins or like governments being like, we're going to be issuing crypto. However, like it's, you know, backed against, I'll just make it up the US dollar or gold or whatever, our currency in this country. And that's where I'm like, oh, I feel like you're taking the idea of decentralized and you're completely doing the wrong thing with it. And it's turning back into a centralized function. And so that's the only point that kind of makes me hesitant. But also I know that maybe consumers would hear that, that, you know, oh, it's backed by the US dollar and be like, oh, that one is a better bet. Whereas if you actually understand, you know, where this tech even, maybe people don't know who created it, but like where it even kind of started and the um, ideology behind it, it's not to tie it to a centralized unit, right. but- if you do that, then you just it recreated the payment system. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Probably, probably not worth it. No. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, David? I am ready. All right. Hard one first. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? The kind of, I'll call it ubiquity of buying online and picking up or delivery anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, solving the, how do I get it to the home at, the, at a cost-effective way? How do I manage returns? 
or how do I combine that experience of in-person and online? However we define that or whatever that looks like is going to change the, the face of, of e-com or commerce. Yep. If you had a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? Wow. It's going to be totally odd. If I had a podcast, it would be about fitness. And, you know, I, I love to do CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And so it would be fitness podcast. And I'd have like a CrossFit athlete, like Travis Mayer or Matt Frazier or somebody on there. I like it. What are you secretly curious about? You know, it's funny. It's not overly secret. I, I you know, I think about with the conversation we just had about cryptocurrency. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by cryptocurrency and the underlying applications of a distributed ledger across everything from supply chain to the world of finance or micro lending or just the stock market. Mm-hmm. You know, how a physical stock certificate is no longer, you no longer in the distributed ledger world, you no longer need a physical stock certificate. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. So maybe more fascinated than uh, secretly intrigued. Yeah, I love that. I always keep thinking about like smart contracts and especially going through and buying a home and being like, why am I still trying to verify that no one from like the 1920s or whatever owns this home? Like, that's ridiculous. Why aren't we just like this baby on Ethereum or Cardano and call it a day? And there's so many things. The the home knows it hasn't been owned. Yeah, Yeah. it should know that. We don't don't need to ask and pay like $3,300 in like title insurance to make sure that like no one else owns this title. That's crazy. It is. It is. I agree with you. I agree with you. So I'm interested in how we unlock all that goodness. Yep. When you want to feel more joy, what do you do? I spend time with my wife and my daughter yeah. uh, and our dog. So, you know, I just hang, I hang out with the fam. I like that. All right. And then what one thing do you not understand today that you wish you did? You know, I don't understand why I can't hit a golf ball more straight. <laughs> and I would love to understand that. Uh-huh. I would love to understand that. I wish I could help you with that, but I just attempted mini golf with my three-year-old the other day and it did not go well. And I was like, I shouldn't be teaching you. I think you're doing better than me. So I hope you figure that out on your own. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. The last one, um, what's up next on your reading list or on your podcast queue? It's funny. I have it. I don't have it with me, but it's a, it is a book about, it's not a crypto book. It's, it's, uh, but it is a distributed ledger finance, a financial book. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of it. So it's probably not. Is it newer? Interesting. It, it is. It is new. It's a 2020, 2021 book. How is it? Uh, digital finance, security tokens, and unlocking the real potential of blockchain. That is it. That's, that's sitting there waiting to read. And then it's funny, the other book that, that's next, next on my list, and I'm old school, so I have like real books. It's a book called From Cotton Picker to Storekeeper the story of the Brookshire Grocery Company. Oh, cool. So uh, a Texas company mm-hmm. uh, out of Tyler, Texas, but it's, they have a, it's a family run store that has a grocery chain that has survived and continues to thrive and grow. And so it's just a, a, an, interesting, an interesting read. All right, David. Well, it's been really fun having you on the show. Thanks for sharing all your insights and hanging out with me for a bit. Where can people find out more about NCR Retail and yourself? Yeah, I would just go to our website, ncr.com. You'll find about us. And then for, for me, you know, I'm on the old school social media of LinkedIn. We do we do still a lot of uh, posting through LinkedIn. It just it just works for us. So you'll see you'll see more there. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on and joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, 
everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.